Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, dear listener. I've got the pleasure today to be in the company of uh, Doris Tran. And I, hopefully I'm, I'm saying your name properly. And Doris is also a French speaker. And I was saying to her that it's very strange to do an interview with somebody who speaks French and to do it in English. And I was telling her that uh, obviously my accent is pretty bad, but that's just the way it is. So I've got to, uh, listeners have got to get used to my uh, French accent. And I don't think I can really improve this very much. So Doris, you're coming to, uh, to this interview through the, the Fidelio ITN network that you're involved with. And I'm going to run some, some sessions with some PhD students who are part of this network. And I think that researchers on the network, but also our listeners will be really interested in your career because you come from an engineering background and you've done a PhD and you're now working in industry. So it's going to be really interesting to discuss with you about your experiences of navigating these various transitions. So as a starting point, could you give us a brief overview of your research career or your professional career so far? Where did it all start? I guess it started after high school. I, I, I wanted to join medical school in France and started with two years and didn't succeed the, the exam. We, ha we have a common point because I also spent two <laughs> years studying for the entrance for the medical school <laughs> exam and also didn't get in. That's how I got to study yeah. biology instead. So yes, got a common experience there. So after these two years, I had the opportunity to switch and choose either Um, biology, physics, science uh, at the university for the bachelor degree. And I decided to follow uh, with uh, physics. It was like a very rational decision uh, coming from my grades at the exams. I thought, where am I good at? Now I have to succeed in my studies. And then physics was my best field. So I, I, I choose physics with always keeping an eye on the medical side and the how to get back to health care and medicine. So after, after a year in, in my bachelor in physics, I went to engineering school to study. And I, I was thinking of going back to medicine and healthcare through bio medical engineering or biomechanics and that's how it's really started so i joined this uh, engineering program and as engineering is quite a huge field i just started to give a direction to my studies to reach this medical side again So at the end of your, your engineering course, most people in some ways will be expected to then go and work in industry, but you went to do a PhD. So why, why did you choose this route? Well, I, I guess uh, because in the engineering field, all my uh, classmates were like really interested in the, the maybe common uh, fields of engineering, like aeronautics, automobile, cars, manufacturing, and all these. And for bio, biomechanics or biomedical, that was more uh, a niche. 
So to get uh, on that topic, my first way was to try to do like uh, engineering projects involving like on these themes. And I started to, um, to discuss more with my professors who had this kind of interest and maybe it was more uh, thanks to their guidance. So how did you go about choosing where to do a, a PhD? Because it's um, it's always a difficult decision in terms of choosing the topic, choosing the academic to do it with. And it's uh, sometimes we just, you know, the opportunities that we are thrown at are not necessarily the one that we want, but we have to make a decision. Well, originally I wanted to... To, to have international experience, any kind of international experience. So I, I during my engineering studies, I went for a, a half year abroad in Montreal, Canada, uh, at the Ecole Polytechnique, because I, I knew they had a strong biomechanical lab. And my plan was to try to, to get an internship there. But somehow it didn't work out. And... Uh, I, I ended up looking for internship in that field in France, either in companies or uh, in a research labs. And as it was like a, a, an idea that I had for a long time, so I, I already spotted the labs in France that were doing biomechanics. So, so I, I contacted the people from the Paris group and from Lyon and some other a bit smaller groups and and eventually yeah it was quite easy when you know what you want to do or in which direction you want to do then there are not like that many places you can go in the end. I started uh, with my master project in Lyon which was a great experience and it went really well with my um, project uh, mentor, like director. And he offered me like a, a PhD proposal also afterwards. And as we had a really good way of working together, it was a, a quite secured way to, to start that kind of project. The, the PhD is, uh, what, three, three years in France, four years? I guess it depends on the funding. And at the end of the, your PhD, you chose then to move into, you know, in, into the industrial um, sector, I guess, not to stay, uh, not to do a postdoc. So what, what was the choice uh, mm-hmm. in terms of using the experience of the PhD to move into something else? Well, at first, my my PhD project was funded by a company producing some medical products. And and during my three years PhD, I didn't um, teach at the university as some of my colleagues were doing, but I had this uh, like consultant work besides. So it was in, in, in the contract somehow, like doing my research project uh, for PhD. And when the company needed a consultant or help on their own uh, R&D projects, I was helping there. I thought it was a really good deal for me to have a, a foot in academic research and also in the industry. 
And after my PhD, I stayed in the lab to do half research and half teaching. And I didn't feel at that time really comfortable in teaching. So it's that there are many reasons for that because it was the end of a, a, a big phase in my life with finishing the PhD. So, so somehow uh, maybe I didn't want it to like commit again like that much as I think a, a um, teacher should. So uh, yeah, somehow I excluded the, the teaching path from, from me. And, but I was quite open either for a postdoc position, but uh, full-time research uh, or working in an R&D team in the industry. So after that year or during that year, when I was looking for my, my next uh, position, I was quite open-minded and I actually did uh, interviews for postdoc and uh, industry both. So what did you choose in the end? Was it just the opportunities that were offered to you? Or sometimes we, we don't have a choice. You know, we, we need a position and we just take what's available. How did you make sure that what was offered to you was what you wanted? I, I guess my profile was attractive enough. So I didn't felt any pressure in the decision I had to make of leaving an option for another. In the end, I, I had one offer in a postdoc position and another for an R&D team in a small company in France. And that's uh, where I took uh, very good advice from my PhD director who was asking me at that time, uh, what do you want to do in the end? Like, do you want to do a postdoc to do the postdoc? Do you want to do a postdoc to have a better chance to apply for a permanent position in academia afterwards? Or is that just a project that you're interested in and later on you will be willing to go towards industry? And knowing the difficulties of professional career in academia and also how I was not like very interested into teaching, which like already um, gives you less opportunity in academia, right? And also in the end, I really thought I would finally try to go towards industry. And then he told me, so you can do the postdoc if you like, but uh, if you take the, the job in the R&D, company then you'll save three years so <laughs> that's fair enough so wh what do you think wh what do you think that you had done during your PhD or during the, the the several years of studies that put you in a really good position to be able to move into industry because I mean in your case I guess having already that experience during your PhD of working for a company I think is, is really massive Because that's one of the, the challenge that uh, I've seen many PhD students have in, you know, being able to take that first step into industry can be really difficult. Do you think that it was really this single experience of, you know, having already been linked with industry that really put you in a good position to be very well perceived yes, by potential? Definitely. Employers? I think it was a key point because... Maybe yes and no, because like small companies, 
who would hired PhD profile often oftentimes already have PhD employees within their team, so they are quite aware of what a PhD is capable of and so on. But there's still this kind of idea uh, for people in the industry. I, I don't know. I, I guess uh, that this this idea is quite strong, at least in France, that uh, people coming from academia are not suitable for industry work because they um, cannot uh, stand deadlines, pressure, uh, they are not results-oriented, and so on, which are sayings and People with academic experience know it's not necessarily true, but we know that it's what people can say about us. And yeah, it's it's quite um, difficult. I, I don't know, maybe the minds are changing nowadays, but still these sayings were there and were very strong and they are still somewhere in, in the air. What do you think that uh, PhD students can do to, to build the experiences during their PhD studies study so that the perception that potential employers have is not that they just, you know, PhD graduates, but that they've got, you know, a richness of competencies that are completely usable and, and of value to, you know, industrial positions? I guess for me, the PhD students, they don't have much more to do it's more from the industry side to be more open-minded because yeah I, I I feel it that way because what a PhD student already does with his project work learning um, and side projects with other people in the labs and like it's already huge <laughs> so and and even between among all these students some of them are like involved in science for children and uh, easy science uh, explained for non-scientific people. So many projects, which is great, but I mean, I guess uh, they have a lot of skills and, and the industry needs to be open to recognize it. Tell us a bit about what you do now and... Um... In a way, what's your experience it is now in, in your current position to, you know, of the, the type of work that you do? Now I'm working for a small company in Switzerland that manufactures scanners, high resolution scanners. And I am in charge of one, one of our scanners, which is a medical device. It's the high resolution extreme CT scanner, whatever. <laughs> and my, my position is called application specialist. <laughs> and my work is to train our new customer or existing customer to use the device, like to help them use the device for research projects, to help them yeah, prepare any projects they would do with this device because our, our customer are mainly doctors and without engineering backgrounds. So they are not like that handy with softwares or scripts or image processing um, 
that is involved in, in, in the scanner. So I'm being the link between the customer and the machine. <laughs> so what do you think is the key difference for you between, you know, working the time that you had in academia and now working in industry in terms of, you know, the, the skills that you acquired as a researcher, as a scientist, as an engineer, and now working in, the, in your current role? If you're talking about the difference in the research work in academia and the work I do currently now in the company, the, the main difference for me is not to be in charge of a research project, but helping and facilitating. And that is for me the, the, the great difference because I am useful for research to be completed. And my participation has a direct consequences for this research project without being in charge. So in, in the context of the research that's done by the company, how is it organized in terms of the, um, the roles that different people are taking? So you have people who are more sort of the, on the technical side, and in your case, you work more at sort of at the interface between the client and basically getting them to use the machines that you're selling. I think that's something that a, a lot of researchers in academia don't necessarily know, is that, you know, what does it mean to do research, you know, in companies? How different is it? Well, in the end, in my current position, I don't do direct research, I, I guess. I would imagine it uh, more, yeah, focus questions or research question that. Uh, interest us and I would say the difference is that at the end there will be actions taken out of the results of this research or applications or or maybe non-actions or non-applications but anyway it will be concretely used to take decisions afterwards and I guess that is the difference between the research in academia where you have maybe more like you have research questions but no concrete idea of what will happen afterwards when you get the outcome what what do you find satisfying in working in uh, in your current role compare maybe to the experience that you had as a, as a phd student i guess i really like to be useful and, uh, and see the concrete consequences of my work. It's like really rewarding. It's like a good girl. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, I like having a diverse, maybe it's due to the settings of my company, which is a small one. So I, I get to discuss with more like, uh, um, I don't know, uh, lab uh, directors or research uh, PIs uh, when they are setting their projects or looking for fundings. But I also um, uh, I am also in contact with uh, master students or PhD students who need help a bit more technical um, in their research. And then maybe, yeah, for sure it brings diversity of questions and levels where I can be helpful. 
and maybe that is yeah really um, uh, a good side because it's uh, yeah it's never the same. So often in research environment, we moan about, you know, the, the challenges faced by people in terms of career progression and, you know, moving on in academic career. What, what, is, what is it like to be able to progress your, your, your career as a professional in, in industry? I mean, again, there isn't necessarily a set path. So in your, in your case, you know, how do you plan for what's coming next and how do you prepare yourself to, in a way, to navigate the next level up or sideways or, you know? I guess I'm a, a quite a rational person. So I observe a lot. And I guess I, what, what I personally do is that I, I like to discuss with people and, and oftentimes with people with the same kind of careers as mine. And older ones to see what they dream of, what is what they feel is possible for them. And with all these feedbacks, I try to find something that uh, that suits me. And then I would like do my own uh, uh, LinkedIn research and see these like dreamy jobs I imagine. And, and see who get these jobs and what they did before to get these jobs. And eventually the next step would be like to get in touch with them and ask and, and, and ask from, for feedback and see, uh, given my own profile, what should I do or what could I do to go in that direction. And what do you think is the most challenging about navigating a, a career as a as a research professional in industry in terms of taking that next step what, what do you think are really the difficulties that people are facing or maybe difficulties that you have faced yourself it's a tough question I guess I don't really see it that way I guess the I, I guess for me the most challenging thing is my uh, personal uh, growth in my self-confidence as a professional and as a scientist or yeah I, I think that was my and still is my main challenge coming from a, a French environment and maybe as a woman in the scientific field I guess that uh, yeah that was uh, for me the, the main challenge with myself of uh, feeling legit. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's very uh, something that's very common and people talk a lot about that. So in, in, in your case, wh what have you been able to do to help you or have other people, you know, in terms of accessing mentors and so on? Have you been able to be supported by people in, I don't know, yeah, in guiding you, mentoring you or you know, giving, bringing opportunities that enable you to grow beyond where you are at now? Yes, I guess I was always very lucky in my, in my experiences. And I already always had uh, kind and skilled uh, supervisors or colleagues 
and mentors. So um, it helps a lot because it helps like developing my own skills, like technical, scientific ones. And it helps also in the more personal way of self-confidence and and to grow in that sense. So yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm quite lucky. I had I had a really <laughs> good and nice people around me. So the company that you work with um, does uh, some collaborative work with academics in uh, in in different universities. What do you think really makes this collaboration work? Because again, that's something that in a lot of countries, the, the um, governments really want to enhance the collaboration between academia and, and, and industry. And often there are lots of pressures that are put on academics to, to do more industrial collaboration. And sometimes some people may feel that it's a little bit forced or they're kind of thrown into it without really knowing what they're going to get out of it. But now that you're working in, in an industrial setting, what do you think academics can do to really make this collaboration work? You know, it's, it's a two-way thing. It's got to work for, you know, both partners. I guess in, in, in my current company, it's uh, it's quite particular because what we produce, what we manufacture, it is meant and produced for researchers and research labs, and and I mean for the academia. So like our customer are these academic researcher, and then of course we are involved with them in many projects, and it helps us better understand and see uh, how to and what to improve and which direction to take. But I guess it's not a classical uh, industrial academic partner, like collaboration, as I saw it, for example, in my PhD thesis, where really the company funding the project expected some results of, of my PhD thesis that they had no means to to achieve in their own R&D team. But in, in terms of this, for example, the academics that you're working with right now, what do you think, you know, in terms of, again, sharing wisdom, how they can help this collaboration work better? What do, what do you want to see in the way they're interacting with you that really help the company work at, in the best way with them? Uh, I guess some um, collaboration, like academic and industrial collaboration, are working well when the um, interest of each uh, stakeholder is clearly defined and announced and clear for everyone, as well as are the means that each uh, part will involve in that project and be very clear on that not that one part would expect a lot of work from the other that already knew they will never involve so communi clear communication at first I guess basics in any type of collaboration yeah, clear and honest communication I guess that that because that would explain a lot. I guess if uh, and everyone involved in the project 
understand what it represents for each part, then it's easier to understand and how find ways to motivate the other parts if needed or or excuse for give like a excuse for delays or or these things when when there's a clear understanding of what's happening there. What do people need to do to become really excellent colleagues on a team, whether it's a research team or a team in, in industry that made them you know amazing people to work with? They were at first very funny <laughs> because <laughs> laughing is the key at work. <laughs> um, I guess in any uh, group, human groups, again, it's the communication. And maybe not only applicable for research environment, I guess, but I would say working in team or in a group, the team spirit, asking help from others and giving help to others is uh, important. But even if it sounds like a generality, I would say in a research environment, when as researcher, asking help is uh, okay, but one needs to, to look for himself and do his own research before asking all the time and do, the, do their homework. Yes, exactly. They have to do, everyone has to do his homework first before disturbing someone else. And also, uh, so when homework is done and, and a colleague is coming to help, in that case, also uh, keep uh, learning from the other and not simply uh, pass the problem to the other and tell him to solve solve it for you, but uh, keep participating and learning from the other because it's um, time involved for both, for both participants, I would say, or the, the one helping, teaching something and the other one getting receiving help, but learning. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I like to ask my um my podcast interviewee are some tips. So, um, so in your case, you know, what would be the tips that you would you would give to you know early career researchers who may be thinking about moving into um, you know into industry? Uh, that that one is a hard one too because everyone is different and every experience is different, and it's hard to see what could be useful to another one. What else. do you think you've learned? I mean, in a way, you know, if you're if you're reflecting on, you know, all the experience, professional experiences that you've had, you know, what is the wisdom that you think you could pass on to others who are more junior, based on your your own experience? I I, I quite enjoyed my whole experience. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have lived it differently with other advice. Maybe one thing is. Be kind <laughs> with the other people you meet and and yeah, maybe take the most <laughs> of um, 
the people who, who cross your way in your career? Because in research and industry, um, I guess the world is very small at first. So you, you don't want to be a, a bad person or considered in bad ways. The, the point that you're making is important because, you know, the, the research niche or the, the, the area, the, you know, we think about the research community as something massive, which it is. But at the same time, people who work in your domain, you know, they, they know each other and whatever interaction that you have, you, you will create a reputation for yourself yes. and, being a, and being a positive contributor within that space is really important. Yeah, exactly. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, like it's not only for the, the networking and the community that I would advise to be uh, nice and kind. And but like in general in life, I think it's important, but even more in work environments when they can be so small. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Doris. It's been really a pleasure talking to you. You're welcome. <laughs>